Got your Bibles this morning. Go me back to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And the Apostle Peter writes this letter in order to encourage his readers to stand firm in difficult times. And I believe that's something that is very fitting for today in the times we are living in are difficult. We know they are unknown to us. Uh, we're experiencing things we've never experienced before. But how many knows that we can stand firm by Jesus Christ in these times? Amen. And if you remember, just to kind of set the scene, if you remember in his letter, he writes to them, in more than one occasion, he's going to refer to them as temporary residents. Also as aliens, as foreigners, they're living in a strange land. And let me say this, what is true about them is also true about us. Because our citizenship, if you are saved today, guess what? This is not your home. Your citizenship is in heaven. And despite that fact that they are, that they are aliens, that they're strangers, that they're pilgrims, that they're just simply passing through, he reminds them of what they have been given. And last week we talked about this. He says, listen, you've been given salvation. You've been chosen by the Father. And thanks be unto God that he chose me before the foundation of the world. Also, not only have they been given salvation, he says you've been guaranteed an inheritance. It's inheritance, he says, that is imperishable. It's undefiled. It doesn't fade away. In other words, you don't have anything like that here on this earth that's imperishable, that's undefiled, that doesn't fade away. And then he says, not only have you been given salvation, not only have you been give, guaranteed an inheritance, he says also you are guarded into salvation because you are kept by the power of God. The same God that is guarding your inheritance is the same God that's going to get you there. And he says in verse 6 of 1 Peter, In this you greatly rejoice. But let me say this. Peter is not just going to paint a pie-in-the-sky picture. He's not just saying that the Christian life is all roses and no thorns, all sunshine and no rain as we will see this morning. Because he is writing to a people that are facing tremendous trials. And Peter will use the word trial in today's text instead of tribulation or persecution because trials speak of general problems that all Christians face. And so this morning we're going to look at verses 6 through 12 of chapter 1 and in these verses, Peter's going to give us what I would call the basics of trials or the nuts and bolts of trials. And then he's going to tell us how the Christians should behave when they are going through these trials. And so we're going to look at the basics of trials and our behavior while we're in the midst of the trials. And so let's look at first and foremost the basics of trials, okay? And if you look at verses 6 and 7, and we're going to read this verse, you're going to see there are five things about trials that Peter wants us to realize and wants us to know. Let's read verses 6 and 7. He says this, Even though now for a little while in this you greatly rejoice, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. 
So that the proof of your faith, being much more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's five things in this verse that Peter says that we need to understand about trials. The first thing we need to realize is simply this. Trials are temporary. Trials are temporary. Look what he says here. He says, even though now for a little while. Notice that verse 6. He says, even though now for a little while. In other words, the pain you are going through right now, it is temporary. The sickness you are going through right now, it is temporary. The hurt you are going through right now, it is temporary. Peter says it only lasts for a little while. Now let me say this. Even if it lasts your entire lifetime here on this earth, it is temporary compared to to eternity. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18, Therefore, we do not lose heart. We don't give up. We don't throw in the towel. But though our outward man is decaying, yet our inward man is being renewed day by day. And look what he says, verse 17. He says, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison while we look not at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen because the things which are seen, they are temporary but the things which are not seen are eternal. Listen, you got to realize this. Your body is temporary. It's temporary. The Bible says your body is wasting away. It's wearing out. You can pluck it. You can tuck it. You can do all kinds of things to it, lift it. But it is simply going to wear out. It's simply going to fade away. And there's nothing you can do about it. It's because we live in a fallen world. And I say this a time and time again. Listen, people in their 90s wonder why they got health problems. First one is this. You're in your 90s. Okay? You're not going to live forever in this present body. You are wasting away. You are wearing out. There's a reason why your eyesight is worse now than it was when you were born, unless you've got laser surgery recently. There's a reason why it's not as good, because you are wearing away. You're wasting away, and there's nothing you can do about it. So he says, listen, all these things, affliction is momentary. It's light compared to what is to come. What you are experiencing right now, guess what? It is 
temporary. It will not last. Praise be unto God. Paul would say this in Romans 8 and 18. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which is to be revealed to us. And so Peter wants us to realize, even though we're aliens, even though we're temporary residents, the trials that you are going through right now, first and foremost, they are temporary. Now let's go back to verse 6. Number 2, what he wants us to know about trials is this. Not only are they temporary, the second thing is this, trials are necessary. Trials are at times necessary. Go back to verse 6, what he says. Even though, in this great rejoice, even though now for a little while, look what he says, if necessary. If necessary. So what Peter wants them to realize is there are times in your life when you need trials. See, most of us think we know what we need, but that's really what we want. We know what we want, but God knows what we need. See, in Matthew 6 and 8 says, your father knows what you need before you even ask him. And a lot of us think we need a mountaintop, but God may say, no, you need a valley. A lot of us may say, I need a pat on the back, but God may say, no, you need a kick in the pants, right? A lot of us may say, well, I need a blessing, and God may say, no, you need a thorn. No, you need a setback. See, he knows what we need. And why do we need trials? And there's two reasons why we need trials. The first one is this. Some of us need trials because we need correcting. Okay, we need correcting. See, there's a reason why some Christians are always in a mess. Okay? It's the same reason why they were always in the principal's office. Right? Because they would not submit to the rules, it would not learn obedience. And as a child of God, when you need correcting, there's only one way to do it, and it's going to be to discipline you. And some of us have been in the school of discipline far too long. And we wonder why everything always falls apart. And it's because you refuse to submit. Look what Hebrews 12 and 6 says. It says, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And he scourges every son whom he receives. Now look, go down to verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 12. He says, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful, yet to those who have been, notice this, you've been trained by it. Afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And so when I go astray, if I'm a child of God, 
If I'm a son of God, if I'm a daughter of God, guess what? He is going to discipline me. He's going to do it through a trial, through some kind of affliction. He will discipline his children to get them back on track. The psalmist understood this. Look at Psalms 119, 67. Look what the psalmist says. He says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. In other words, I was being a rebel, but guess what God did to me? He afflicted me, and he got me back on, right, on the right path, and now I am going to keep your word. And so sometimes God sends us trials in order to correct us. Now, there's a second reason why he sends trials. And it's just not only a trial of correction, I call it this, a trial of perfection. Listen, when you first came to know Jesus Christ, he accepts you as you are, but he will not leave you as you are, okay? He won't leave you as you are. And so you start, you and I, we start a process, and that process is growing to be more and more like Jesus Christ, I like what George Whitfield said. He said this. He said, God puts burrs in our bed in order to keep us watchful and awake. See, if you get comfortable, you won't pray as much. When everything goes your way, you will think, you know what? Maybe I don't need God that much. Yeah, that's what we do. And so God puts these spiritual rocks in our shoes to keep us depending upon him. He did it for the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10. And remember now, the Apostle Paul is defending his apostleship to the church at Corinth. And he's talking about all the great visions that he had saw. And he says... Verse 7, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, now look what he says here, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. God said to Paul, Paul, I got a gift for you. Oh, it's not a mountaintop, Paul. It's a thorn. And you've ever been out trimming rose bushes and you get that thorn underneath your fingernail? Oh, it is painful. It's not joyous. But God says, Paul, I got a gift for you. It's a thorn. Why does God give Paul a thorn? Because Paul is just like us. When we go through mountaintops, and if we had all these revelations that Paul had, we would be more than likely to begin to brag on ourselves and think, look how good I am. Look how special I am. Look how holy I am. And so he says, Paul, I'm going to give you this thorn to keep you depending upon me. And so look what he says. Paul says, verse 8, he says, listen, I asked the Lord three times to take it away. 
I asked the Lord three times to take it away. Now let me say this. Do you think for one moment Paul had faith? Absolutely he did. And so we would think, well, Paul had faith. All Paul had to do was just exercise his faith, then God was going to remove that thorn. No. Faith is not a tool you use to manipulate God. Because if you can manipulate God by your faith, then who's God? Just chew on that for a little while. Faith helps you go through it when God says no. And so what God tells Paul is, listen, I'm not going to do it because I know what you need and you don't need another blessing. You need a thorn, Paul, because that thorn, every time you walk, you can go, ouch. It's going to remind you that you can't make it without me. And God will allow us to go through trials because it shows us that we need God. We cannot make it without him. And so he says this. When God told Paul no, he said and said to him, verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. And Paul says, most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distress, with persecution, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, guess what? That's when I'm really strong. And so we see Peter tells us that trials are temporary. Trials are at times necessary. Go back to verse 6. Another thing he tells us in this verse about trials is this, that trials are not easy. Look what he says here. He says, you have been distressed. You have been distressed. That word distress here means mental anguish. In other words, when you go through a trial, he says it's not easy. That distress means an emotional weight that is so great, it feels like it's going to crush you. And there are times in our lives when we go through situations where it seems like it's going to crush us. It's going to kill us. And listen, Peter says trials are difficult. This word distress is the same word that described Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26 to 37 when he says, And he took with him Peter and his two sons of, and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Do you think when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, it was a tiptoe through the tulips? It was heavy. It was sorrowful. It was weighing him down. And so Peter says, when you go through a trial, guess what? It's heavy. It's sorrowful. It will weigh you down. It's not a pie in the sky. It's not a all roses, no thorns in the Christian walk. He says they are temporary. They're necessary. They're not easy. Go back to verse 6. Another thing he tells about trials is this. They're also varied. He says, you've been distressed by various trials. In other words, they're not all the same. Trials are not all the same. We don't all go through the same thing. For some of us, it's a physical trial. For other people, it may be an emotional trial. For some of us, it may be, a, may be cancer. It may be some kind of disease. We don't all go through the same thing. They are various. Trials are. Okay? It's not a one-size-fits-all. God knows what you need the same way he knows what I need. 
See, I've got two kids, and they're, they're not the same kids, okay? You don't, you, you, you don't treat them the same way. You treat them the same way, but you don't treat them uh, when they go through certain situations the same because they're made different. Their personalities are different. And guess what? The same way as a parent, I know how to encourage one, may not work with the other one. God knows his children. What may work for you may not work for me. And so the trials that we go through, they're not all the same. But then he says this in verse 7, the fifth thing about trials is this. Trials are controlled by God. Verse 7, he says, So that the proof of your salvation, of your faith, being much more than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, Peter is going to compare going through trials for the Christian like gold being tried and being purified. And what Peter wants us to realize is, listen, your faith is much more precious than gold. Now, to us, when we've got gold chains and gold ring, gold earrings, and we got gold jewelry around the house and that kind of stuff, gold may not mean as much to us nowadays as it did to those saints. Because gold to them was something that was, you couldn't measure it. Because no one hardly had any gold. But what Peter's saying is your faith that God has given you is much more precious than gold. And he, was, he wants them to realize this the same way that a goldsmith would not deliberately waste precious gold. Because what a goldsmith would do is he takes that gold... And he puts that gold in fire. And he would heat that gold up and he would get it to melt. And what happens is this, when that gold is heated up, the impurities begin to rise to the top. Now a goldsmith is not going to damage the gold. A good one's not going to. He's not going to leave it in the fire too long. He's going to control the temperature. He's going to control the time it's in there. And at just the right time, he's going to skim the impurities off and he's going to remove the gold so the gold can be purified. And what Peter wants us to realize is, listen, God is like a goldsmith. Matter of fact, I think it's Malachi says he sits as a refiner of silver. And what God does is with his precious saints is, there's times he will put them in the fire. But the thing about God is this. He's controlling the temperature. Okay? Now, how does a goldsmith know when the gold is pure? Well, an Eastern goldsmith would look at that gold, and when he could see the reflection of his face, he knew that gold was pure. Now, here's the spiritual application. God takes his children through the fire, and when we go through the fire, what happens? The same thing we go, the impurities start rising to the top. See, it's easy to talk faith when all the bills are paid, and you don't have a bad report from the doctor. It's easy to say we need to be living by faith, and we need to trust God. And then when we talk that good game, God says, all right, big boy, Let's see what you really got in there. And he takes us through those situations, and you realize, you know what? I'm not as strong as I thought I was. I'm not as independent as I thought I was. I need God. I need to get on my knees more than I thought I did. 
And so the same way that goldsmith, when he would look at that gold and see his reflection, he knew that gold was purified. Guess what? God takes his children through the fire. And how does he know when we're ready to come out of that fire? When he can look at us and see the reflection of Jesus Christ living inside of us. And that's what he's saying is, listen, even though you're in a trial right now, you got to realize this, that God is the one that's controlling the heat. He's the one that's controlling the fire. He's the one that's controlling the time. And so we can rejoice because we've been given salvation we've been guaranteed an inheritance and we are being guarded right now by God the Father and being kept unto salvation on that day so that's what he wants us to realize about trials they're temporary they're necessary they're not easy they're varied they're also controlled by God so now he's going to move to our behavior how should we act when we're in the trial, well, verse 8 and 9 tells us this. He says, and though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your fate the salvation of your souls. It's four directives Peter gives us there. How should the Christian behave when we're in the midst of a trial? How should we behave? What should be our reaction? The first thing he tells us is this. We should love him. We should love him. See, he says, listen, you guys ain't never seen him, but you love him. Peter's seen him. He touched him. He felt him. He was in the boat with him. When he said, peace be still. He was there when he appeared on his resurrection to his disciples. He had an advantage over those people. But he says, you know what? Even though you have not actually seen him, you love him. Now, how, why do we love him? Well, 1 John 4, 19 says, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. And the reason why I loved him is because he showed his love toward me first and foremost. Do you realize, listen, let me kind of put it like this. When a couple, when a married couple goes through a tragedy, okay, one or two things are going to happen. They're either going to be closer together because of that, or there's going to be a wedge that's going to drive in between them that's going to pull them apart and it's their attitude when they go through that that makes all the difference and what I'm saying is this for a child of God when you go through a trial one or two things are going to happen either you are going to get closer to the Lord or you're going to get mad at God and say well God if you're really God of love why am I going through this it's because you've got a false view of who God is. You've heard somebody say that if, you're a, that if you love God, you won't ever have any problems. And that's a bunch of Greek word baloney. You will have problems. You will have trouble. You will go through tragedies. It doesn't, God doesn't shield us from those things. 
But he says when you're going through this, he says you've got to love him. You've got to worship him because when you love him, you know what it does? It takes the poison out of the experience. See, you can either get bitter in your situation or you can either realize that God is making me a better person because of this. And so he tells them, while you're going through this, he says, you got to love him. You got to get closer to him. Don't go further away from him. Don't begin to question him. He says, but you love him. Then not only he says, you got to love him, he says this, he says, trust him. Trust him. Not only do we love him, he says, but also believe in him or trust him. There's a song we used to sing, Tis So Sweet, to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. See, Job understood about trusting. Job was a righteous man. The most righteous man in all the world at the time. And yet in one single day, he lost everything. And in Job 13 and 15, Job would say this, Though he slay me, Yet, I will trust him. I don't understand what he's doing. I don't understand why he's doing it. But you know what I'm going to do? I am going to trust him that he knows what I need in my particular situation. Romans 8, 28. We all know this. First of all, what the Bible says. He says, and we know... We know, not that we see, not that we feel. He says we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't mean that everything that happens to me is good, but what it does mean is no matter what happens to me, God can use that for my good. It's not to make me bitter. It's to make me better. And so he says, while you're going through the trial, he says you should love him. You should trust him. Let me give you one, one, one more truth to hang on to in the trial about trusting God. In 2 Corinthians 4.15, the apostle Paul says this. We read verses 16 through 18 a while ago, but there's a verse before that where he says this. For all things are for your sake. Now let me ask you this. As a child of God, do you believe everything is for your sake? That God is working it for your good. God is working this situation for my good. That's why you trust him. You lean upon the word. But he says not only should you love him, not only should you trust him, but then continue on. He says, also, you should rejoice in him. Rejoice in him. Say, so you may not be able to rejoice in your circumstances this morning, but you can rejoice in them by rejoicing in him. Paul would say in Philippians 4 and 4, rejoice in the Lord when you feel like it. No. He said, rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I will say rejoice. He would tell the church at at Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, he would say this, rejoice always. 
In good times, rejoice. In bad times, rejoice. On the mountaintop, rejoice. In the valley, rejoice. Then he says, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ. You know what God's will is? It's for you to give thanks. So not only does he say love him, trust him, rejoice in him, but he also says receive from him. See, if we love him, if we trust him, if we rejoice in him, in the midst of our trials, then we can receive from him all that we need and turn these trials into triumphs in our life. Verse 9, he says, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I want to read verses 10 through 12 this morning. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation because Peter's, once again, he's really honing in on this salvation, how great it is. He says, this salvation that we have was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. Man, do you realize that Isaiah would have swapped places with us in a heartbeat? We think of, oh man, wouldn't it be great to be Moses? Man, these guys, they only heard about it. They only saw it by faith. What we have, this precious, great gift of salvation, they didn't understand it completely. He says they wanted to know more about it. And he says, verse 11, continue on. He says, they wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told, verse 12, that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now, right now, this good news has been announced to you by those who preach in the power of the Holy Spirit. Sent from heaven... It's also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Praise be unto God. If you are saved this morning, guess what? You've got a reason to rejoice in spite of your suffering. Why is that? Because you have been Chosen, you've been given salvation by God the Father. You've been guaranteed an inheritance. It is reserved for you in heaven. You are being guarded right now by God until the day that Jesus Christ comes back. And he doesn't say it's not going to be hard. It's going to be hard. We're going to have trials. But we got to realize they're temporary. They're necessary. They're not easy. They're varied. They're controlled by God. And so how should we behave in these days we're living in, in these difficult times? Let's love him. 
Let's trust him. Let's rejoice in him. Let's realize we are receiving from him the salvation. Remember, we talked about this last week. There's three aspects of salvation. Justification deals with my past when I'm saved. Sanctification deals with my present, making me more and more like Jesus Christ. But there's one more step we haven't received, and that is glorification. And you will not get that on this side. You will only get that when you get home. And I think there's a song that says two out of three ain't bad, but guess what? We ain't getting two out of three. We're getting three out of three. We're getting glorification. And so it's only for a little while what you're going through. So do not lose heart. Don't give up. Be full of hope because the same God that started this journey within us, the author of our faith, is also the finisher of our faith. And he is going to see us through. I want to go back and read one more verse, Romans 8, 18, as you're coming and playing. Apostle Paul says this. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. He's using here really like an accountant. verb to describe this or adjective to describe this, when he uses the word for I reckon, I consider, it's basically like him taking out a ledger and then putting the pros and cons or the debits and credits. And he says, when I write out all the bad stuff, and let's just take his life for a second, when I write out being beaten with 39 stripes, Okay, being shipwrecked numerous times, being stoned and left for dead. Now listen, I, they, ain't nobody here been stoned this week because of your testimony. I mean, you may get stuck on a cruise ship, be the worst thing you get, but you ain't been shipwrecked. Probably most of us haven't been in prison this week because of our faith. And Paul would say, when I compare all of that, all I got to put in there is, on the next side, glory to be revealed. And it outweighs them all. It outweighs them all. So church, you're going to go through trials. You're going to have bad days. But how are you going to behave during them? Love him. Trust Him. Rejoice in Him. Realize that you're receiving the end of your faith. You're going to receive the glorification. Let's all stand. We got time. If there's anyone here as they're singing this song, you need prayer for anything, whatever it is. I want you to come as they're singing this song and we'll gather around you as saints of God and encourage you and pray that God will touch you. But let me tell you something. 
A lot of us would rather be delivered from it than developed in it. We'd rather God go ahead and take us out of it instead of developing us in it. It's what he, what, and what he wants to do. But trust him. Love him. Trust him. Rejoice in him. Receive from him all that he has.